Today on the Matt Wall Show, two kids have been suspended for having toy guns in their rooms while attending a Zoom class. We'll talk about why this push for online classes represents a, a threat to parental rights and also why online learning for kids is a terrible idea in general. Also, five headlines, including Kaepernick's uh, return to the NFL, virtually anyway. And in our daily cancellation, we'll discuss the Academy's hilarious new diversity standards for any Best Picture nominee. I actually like them. I think it's a great idea, and I'm excited about it, and I'll explain why, even though they are being canceled for it. Before we get to any of that, the show today is brought to you by Eero. Um, look, if you if you need to have, a, well, everyone needs to have great Wi-Fi everywhere in their home. You don't want to be one of those people huddled in a, in a certain corner of the room where you get the best signal. You don't want don't do that to yourself. Have some dignity. Get Eero. Uh, these days, your house isn't just your home. It's an office. It's a school, as we'll discuss in a moment. It's a movie theater. It's a restaurant. All these activities and more put a strain on your Wi-Fi. It's not good. Uh, it's not good enough to, to only have you know one room or two in the house where you get Wi-Fi. You need solid Wi-Fi in your whole house so everyone isn't working right on top of each other. That's why you need Eero. Eero, an Amazon company, covers your whole home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi inside and out. Uh, rooms with with uh, with bad to no Wi-Fi. If you got dropouts on your patio, Eero makes every square foot of your house and even outside your house usable by eliminating poor coverage and dead spots. You'll have a consistently strong signal wherever you need it. You can be you can be on a work call. The kids can be remote learning. You can have um, you know someone could be streaming videos. You can be doing all of that, and uh, and you'll still have the strong Wi-Fi if you have uh, Eero. You know I can tell. I can tell you, especially because for me, where we live, uh, a lot of my my neighbors have trouble getting a good Wi-Fi signal, but I don't have that problem. And I've told them, get Eero. I scream it at them. I bang on their doors in the middle of the night and I shout at them, you need Eero. And at this point, they're just starting to call the cops. It's getting a little, a little weird, I guess. But that's because I feel passionate about this. What can I say? Get Eero. We're, uh, you know, we're asking a lot of our Wi-Fi. Eero can help yours do more. Go to eero.com slash Walsh and enter code Walsh at checkout to get free next day shipping with your next order. That's Eero, E-E-R-O dot com slash Walsh. Code Walsh at checkout to get your Eero delivered with free next day shipping. Eero.com slash Walsh, code Walsh, E-E-R-O dot com slash Walsh. Okay, well, as kids across the country... Um, are attending online schools. School systems are deciding that this expands their jurisdiction and authority into the very homes where the children are sitting. So two recent and egregious examples, both in Colorado. In one case, a seventh grader at Grand Mountain was suspended after his art teacher saw him during his online art class playing with a gun. Teacher wasn't sure if the gun was real or not. Perhaps it's relevant here to note that the gun was neon green with an orange tip, and it said zombie hunter on the side of it. Who knows? Maybe the kid was a real zombie hunter. Uh, so the police were called, and the police then showed up to the child's house, and the child was suspended for the zombie hunter neon green Nerf gun. Another case. Um, for this one, let me play a clip from the local Fox 31 news report. Watch this. For sixth grader Maddox Blow, target practice is just a regular part of being an 11-year-old kid. That's why he says he didn't think anything of it when he picked up the airsoft gun in his bedroom after completing a quiz during a remote school session online. I was just fiddling with it because, um, like, I was bored, and so I just fiddled with the nearest object at hand. Maddox said he didn't even realize he was on camera, but hours later, a teacher noticed the airsoft gun while reviewing the recorded session, according to Maddox's dad. The Fox 31 problem solvers learned a resource officer then called the Wheat Ridge Police to ask for a welfare check and report that Maddox had a toy gun 
And now Maddox is suspended from school for four days. This was a blatant overreaction on everyone's part. Maddox is owed an apology. The Jeffco Public Schools wouldn't go on camera, but in an email confirmed the incident and said the student was disciplined according to their district code of conduct. Yeah, you know, we're going to leave entirely to the side the fact that suspensions in general are a supremely stupid form of punishment. The only kids who care about getting suspended are the kids who don't deserve to be, like the two students in these stories. In other words, only good students consider it a punishment to not be allowed to go to school, but good students don't get suspended, or if they do, they probably don't deserve it. So the bad students deserve the punishment, but they're the ones who don't consider it a punishment. Uh, you're bad in school and you act like you don't want to be here. Your punishment is a one-week vacation, mister. That'll teach you. Not very effective. But more to the point, um, there are all kinds of horrifying implications to public schools now punishing students and getting law enforcement involved for things they're doing inside their own homes. Yes, bringing a fake gun to school will get you in trouble, but now you aren't allowed to have one in your home and all because the teacher can see inside your home? So a teacher can punish a child for anything the teacher sees the child do, no matter where he is when he's doing it? A teacher has authority over the actions of a child inside his home, and all because Zoom grants the teacher a view of inside the home. Uh, what this COVID panic-inspired rush towards online learning, or distance learning as they call it now, represents, uh, what it represents is, among other things, a massive power grab by the state. Government schools had already, over the course of the past several decades, been intruding more and more into home life, taking more and more power away from the parents as the school itself increasingly assumes the position as surrogate parent. But now, with this online learning stuff, with households apparently required to function as the school and obey its rules, what should be a reclaiming of power by the parents has worked exactly the other way around. The schools have just extended their reach, slithering their tentacles into the home and claiming it as their domain now. And all of that is also almost beside the point when it comes to online classes. The most important point of all is simply that online learning for kids in grade school doesn't work. In fact, it's debatable whether it works at all at any age, even at, the, even at the older ages. A report published by Inside Higher Ed in January of last year, so way before the COVID panics and everyone running into their homes for months on end, found that um, students who are fully online, taking all of their college classes on the internet, underperform and experience poor outcomes. Now I ask you, is there any reason to think it'll be better for 10-year-olds? There are, I'm sure, some adults who can be successful with online classes. There might be some kids, too, but that percentage is going to be much smaller. And that's why the reviews after the last, you know, the last three months of the past school year spent learning online, the reviews for that were generally poor. Uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal in June, headline, the results are in for remote learning, it didn't work. Of course it didn't. You can't plunk a child in front of a computer for hours a day and expect him to absorb even a fraction of the information that's thrown at him. Children need an education that is hands-on, immersive, personalized. In fact, the whole problem with the public school system where 30 kids are plunked into a classroom and information is spewed at them, which they're expected to memorize and regurgitate, the whole problem 
is that it's not nearly personalized enough. Now take that same approach, except have the kids sitting and staring into a screen, and all of the bad things about public school education, at least all of the bad things about the education itself, if not the environment, are amplified. You simply can't expect kids to learn this way. There's a reason why, for years, the complaint has been that kids spend way too much time sitting around and staring into screens. Suddenly, because people are scared of a virus that rarely affects kids at all, um, many kids are required to do the thing we've all said they do too much of already. So we go from, you look at screens too much, to sit here for six hours today and look at screens. One thing we can certainly expect, there is going to be a huge, and I'm sure we will be told mysterious, rise in ADHD diagnosis this year. Um, kids who have trouble engaging and staying invested and interested and focused in a crowded classroom while a teacher reads information off of a worksheet are already diagnosed as somehow disordered. When their only real disorder is that they're disengaged and bored by stuff that's disengaging and boring. So expect a similar approach to kids who have trouble sitting still and staring at a screen for hours each day. Well, you know, this, this eight-year-old boy isn't learning much from five hours of Zoom meetings each day. He must be diseased. Let's shove some pills in his mouth. That's what's coming, I guarantee you. For a long time, the approach to education has been to do it in a way that is most convenient for all of the adults involved. And if the kids struggle to learn that way, well, then drug them until they get with the program. So a parent says, I need to be able to ship my kid off to a government building for eight hours a day because that's easiest for the lifestyle that I want to have. If my kid doesn't thrive in that environment, well, there must be something wrong with him. Put him on drugs. No, there's nothing wrong with your kid. There's something wrong with your approach to parenting. And now Zoom classes and online learning for elementary schoolers is just the latest example of educating kids in a way that makes us feel most comfortable as adults and is most convenient for us and what we want to do, but is not good for the kids. And so what do we say? If it doesn't work for the kids, then yet again, there's something wrong with them. That's what's coming down the pike, I guarantee it. Let's get to our five headlines. Well, I want to tell you about Omaha Steaks. I was really excited the, uh, over the weekend. Our shipment, our latest shipment from Omaha Steaks came in, and uh, it's just a big box of meat. And I was looking through the meat, and I was very excited about it. My wife was calling from the other room, asking me to help with the baby. She wanted me to get a bottle for the baby. And I, and I said, I'm, I, you know, we just got a shipment of meat. I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but let's have some priorities here. Um, and then we had, uh, we got uh, hot dogs and, and kielbasa, we got hamburgers. We did a whole big cookout. It was absolutely delicious. Uh, and so I can't recommend Omaha Steaks enough. The last thing we all want to do right now is go to a grocery store. It's crowded. You have to wear masks in a lot of places in the country. Um, the selection isn't always great. You can't find what you're looking for. Instead, stay at home and let Omaha Steaks ship your food directly to your door. And it, it gives you something to look forward to also. You know, rather than just getting bills in the mail, you're going to get a big hunk of meat in the mail, multiple hunks of meat. Right now, you can get a gourmet grill-out package with an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter code Walsh into the search bar, and for this week, Omaha Steaks will add four burgers, four gourmet jumbo franks free with your order. This is the grill. That's what I had, the grill-out package. 
It was great. It's called the Grill Out pa- uh, Favorites Package, and it lets you stay at home and eat like you're at the best steakhouse in town. We're talking a variety of gourmet grillables like the Omaha Steaks bacon-wrapped filet mignon. Visit omahasteaks.com and type Walsh into the search bar and order today. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak. It's the best steak of your life, guaranteed. And not just steaks. It's all, all different kinds of cuts of meat. And don't forget, when you order the Grill Out Favorites Package, you also get four gourmet jumbo franks, four Omaha Steaks, Burgers free to complete your steakhouse experience. Stay home, stay safe, and eat great. Go to omahasteaks.com, use keyword Walsh, and order today. All right. Number one, Colin Kaepernick is returning to the NFL, virtually anyway. EA Sports announced that Kaepernick will be in the new Madden game. Um, You can choose him to quarterback any team you want. Apparently, his his avatar, uh, his, his character in the game will have an 81 rating, which the kids tell me is good. So that places him like among the elite quarterbacks in the game, which is obviously absurd. He wasn't an elite quarterback when he played five years ago. Here's the statement from EA Sports. that says, Colin Kaepernick is one of the top free agents in football and a starting caliber quarterback. The team at EA Sports, along with millions of Madden NFL fans, want to see him back in our game. Knowing that our EA Sports experiences are platforms for players to create, we want to make Madden NFL a place that reflects Colin's position and talent rates him as a starting quarterback, and empowers our fans to express their hope for the future of football. We've worked with Colin to make this possible, and we're excited to bring it all to you today. Um, yeah, I'm sure you did work with Colin Kaepernick for that. I'm sure he was he was fully on board. All in the name of social, social justice. This is, this is all about social justice, racial justice. Um, but getting Colin Kaepernick in the game, you know, it's all, it's all in the, when, when, when he was working with Madden, making however much money he was making from them to get himself in a video game, it is all for racial and social justice, okay? And money, but mainly for racial and social justice. Um, Now, of course, the claim, as I said, the claim to him being a starting caliber player at the age of 32, five years removed from the game, is ludicrous. Just to give you an idea, Kaepernick lost his starting job to Blaine Gabbert while he was still playing, okay? And if you aren't familiar with pro football, suffice it to say that losing your starting job to Blaine Gabbert is one of the great humiliations that you can possibly suffer in an athletic context. It's like, it's maybe a notch below losing an arm wrestling competition against your wife. Okay, it's it's only slightly less humiliating than that. Um, in his final year in the league in 2016, he went one for 10. Uh, he went one in ten, I should say. That was his. That was actually his record uh, as a starting quarterback. He won one game, played played eleven, threw sixteen touchdowns in eleven games. So again, this was at best. I mean, generously, this was a mediocre player when he was in the league. He had one or two good years, uh, and then it was sort of a a a rapid descent from there. Um, he's not going to be any better now that he's 32 and has has been doing nothing but shooting Nike commercials for the last half a decade. But this all again proves my point that Colin Kaepernick is one of the great con men in American history. And I, I really believe that. I think he's almost at the level of maybe the kid from that the Catch Me If You Can was based on. He's almost at that level. I mean, if you think about it, Colin Kaepernick realized that he was washing out as an NFL starter. He faced a career as a journeyman backup quarterback, you know, signing two or three year, really one or two year contracts in different 
uh, places around the league, you know, coming in for, for, for training camp and then, and then maybe signing somewhere else. Um, and he didn't, he didn't want to do that. So it was at that moment that he launched his fake social justice crusade. Fast forward five years, he's far richer and more famous than he ever would have been as a professional bench rider. It's, it's a hell of a scam. It really is. Uh, and this is why I've never been able to generate the same sort of anger towards Colin Kaepernick that other conservatives have. I guess because I'm a capitalist at heart. And so when I see this guy running a con like this and raking in millions because of it, um, I can't help but have some level of respect for it. Yeah, he's a scumbag and he's a liar and a fraud. But at the same time, uh, this was just a massive course change. And he was able to sell himself as some sort of social justice crusader and make tens of millions of dollars off of it. Now, granted, he had a lot of help from the media and everything else, so you could say it really wasn't that difficult, but still, um, hell of a con, hell of a scam that he's running. Number two, you may remember, speaking of scams, Jessica Krug, the African studies professor who was, uh, who was white but claimed to be black for many years. Video has surfaced of this person back in 2019 when she was still pretending to be black. And here she is on a Columbia University panel, seemingly justifying and defending some gang members who hacked apart a 15-year-old kid with machetes. And she says that it's a, it was a revolutionary political act and seems to have um, a not very disapproving attitude about it. Watch. How many people in this room are familiar with um, Leandro Guzman? Feliz. It's a 15-year-old boy uh, who was murdered in the Bronx last year. Um, so if you're in New York, you probably heard a lot about this. Um, <clears throat> and the narrative around it is that he was an innocent kid who was mistaken for a bad kid. Right? He was a kid who was um, hacked apart with machetes in front of a bodega in the Bronx. Um, and the idea is that he was mistaken for someone else um, by Trinitarios, right? who are a Dominican gang. Um, that comes out of Rikers, as most of the radical politics of New York City has done for many, many years. Um, but the part of the story that gets emphasized in different ways is that he was an explorer, right? Which is a program that the NYPD has to bring youth in um, to eventually work for them. And so when I think about this politics of silence that I'm talking about in the archives, right, and how silence can be a really radical presence historically. I think it's a radical presence today. Um, when people talk about snitches get stitches, right, or when we think about um, a history of anti-apartheid st struggle in South Africa and necklacing, right, um, and that kind of violence towards people who are collaborating or who are working against uh, their communities, we have to consider a radical moment in 2018 in which people are using machetes to hack apart a 15-year-old boy who's working with the police. Now, this is not the point, I suppose, but my first question is, how the hell did anyone ever take that woman for a, a black person? I, I, she's paler than me. She sounds like a valley girl. Uh, I mean, how did, speaking of scams, how did this go on for years? Couldn't everyone tell she wasn't black just by, you know, looking at her? Did she surround herself with visually impaired people? Did she, did she work at a camp for the blind? I, I, I mean, I, I really don't. It's, it's amazing to me that that person passed herself off as, uh, as black all those years. But really, the, it, it, I guess it's not that amazing. The reason she got away with it is that 
we live in a country where everyone feels like they have to take everyone else's self-identification seriously, no matter how obviously absurd it is. So when, when she went around introducing herself as a black woman, people were afraid to just go, uh, no, 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 you're not. Uh, you're, you're not that. I, you're certain. I, I don't know exactly where you're from or what, but uh, no, no. To use basic common sense is considered an act of violence now. And so people were afraid to do that. And everybody forfeits their common sense willingly, um, you know, uh, uh, choosing wokeness over, over common sense. We're at the point now where I could walk into a room and say, howdy, folks. Great to meet you. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Jamaican woman. And uh, also I'm 72 and pregnant. And I can fly. And everyone would feel obligated to say, oh, okay, great. Nice to meet you. How's Vietnam these days? That's where we are. Um, and that's, that's, that's how she got away with it. And that's, I guess it's a similar thing to Colin Kaepernick. I want, I want to, the positive side of me wants to laud them for being great scam artists. But then I realize the culture and the environment has made it so incredibly easy to run these kinds of scams. Number three, Michelle Obama is offering some marriage advice. In a recent podcast, she said, quote, um, there were times that I wanted to push Barack out of a window. And I say that because it's like, you've got to know the feelings will be intense, but that doesn't mean you quit. And these periods can last a long time. They can last years. Periods of wanting to murder your spouse can last years. Um, you know, having murderous rage towards your spouse for any amount of time, let alone years, I, I, I'm not sure that that's actually good or healthy or normal. Um, I haven't been married for as long as, as the Obamas have been married, but, you know, we've, we've got nine years under our belt. Uh, you know, we have four kids, and so we've been around the block a few times, and I can say that I've, I've never wanted to push my wife out of a window. I can say that which actually would make for a very romantic Valentine's card. Honey, I swear I will never chuck you out a window. A little too sentimental, I don't know. But I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a romantic at heart. Number four, finally, TEDx London has, oh no, not, not finally, this is number four. We've got one after this. TEDx London has announced that it will no longer use the word women and instead will use women with an X instead of an E. So, Wimixen, uh, Wimixen. Uh, they explain their decision here. They say, why we're using Wimixen. No, that's not a typo. Wimixen is a spelling of women that is more inclusive and progressive. The term sheds light on the prejudice, discrimination, and institutional barriers Wimixen have faced and explicitly includes non-cisgender women. Actually, okay, there's a, there's a lot to un unpack here. Um, or maybe there's nothing to unpack. This is just a load of nothingness. This is utterly vapid, meaningless Women with an X is more inclusive? How? How exactly? It sheds light on prejudice. How? What? Why? When? Where? So many questions. Um, I, though I, I do appreciate this new leftist trend, I guess, of, of injecting the letter X into words randomly, because it demonstrates that progressivism has no ideas of its own, no real vision, no plan, no goal, no coherent thought of any kind to offer. It's really reactionary in the most literal sense of the word because it simply reacts to what already exists. Its whole thing is just to arbitrarily tear down and get rid of what already exists for no reason other than just to do it. 
Um, that's the only discernible or vaguely discernible reason to replace women with wimixin. It, it achieves nothing other than to get rid of the word women. And the only problem with the word women is that it's a word people have used for a long time. And so we're going to get rid of it for that reason. Uh, it's the same thing with Latinx and, and all of these, uh, or Latinx. I'm, I'm still not clear on how to pronounce any of these words. Um, or maybe you're not supposed to pronounce them. I don't know. It's like uh, you know, Prince replacing his name with a symbol. Is it that kind of thing? I'm not sure. Number five, finally, for our most important story of the day, huge controversy ignited yesterday when Kim Klaychik, a congressional candidate from Baltimore, she's the woman who made that viral ad about Baltimore, uh, where she announced her campaign, she, she posed uh, for, for a picture at Jimmy's Seafood, which is a Maryland institution, best crab cakes in the country, in the world, on the planet, without question. But the picture sparked debate because, as you could see, she's eating sushi with a fork. Uh, and the comments about this have been vicious, all focused on the fork, because people say you're supposed to use chopsticks when eating sushi. But let me just say right now, and, and, and I will say this publicly, and I really did appreciate this, this picture from, from Kim. Um, I am also a forker, as we call ourselves. Maybe we should think of a different label than that. Uh, I eat sushi with a fork. I've been doing it for years. I also have endured the scorn and disdain from my fellow man because of it. But it is time that we forkers come out of the shadows and speak our truth. There's nothing wrong with it. I use a fork for sushi. Yes, I do sometimes use a fork for pizza. For hamburgers, I use a fork for anything. It is a, it is a, it is a, one of the great inventions in the history of, of, of mankind, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. So I appreciated that from Kim Klaychik. Okay, let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we're going to be canceling the Oscars. Uh, the Oscars have been canceled for me on a personal level since, well, forever. I don't think I've ever watched more than five minutes of an Oscars telecast. That's because I'm not a masochist, but Today, we're going to be canceling the Oscars for everybody else, too. Um, you aren't allowed to watch it either now after this, which I think will, will be one rule that you should have no problem following under my theocratic uh, dictatorship. Reading from The Hollywood Reporter, the headline is, Film Academy sets inclusion requirements for Oscars, which will take effect in 2024. And this is good, as we all know, because uh, history proves that quotas, inclusion, stringent PC standards, all of that makes for great art. For example... Fun bit of, bit of trivia here. Um, the Sistine Chapel was painted by a committee of racially diverse LGBT activists. It's true. Um, that's uh, A lot of people don't know that. Now, let's read the article uh, to find out about these, these requirements. It says, to encourage equitable representation on and off screen in order to better reflect the diversity of the movie-going audience, films will have to meet minimum requirements pertaining to representation and inclusion to be eligible for the Best Picture Oscar beginning with the 96th, 96th Oscar race. Uh, which will recognize achievements from 2024 and be held in 2025. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced uh, on Tuesday saying that uh, in the meantime, an Academy Inclusion Standards form will have to be submitted to the Academy for a film to be considered for the 94th Oscars um, and 95th Oscars, although meeting inclusion thresholds will not yet be a requirement. And no action will be required for films wishing to compete for the 93rd Oscars, which are to be held on April 25th. Okay. Now, there are four standards by which the films will be judged before being admitted into consideration for a best picture. And they must meet two of the four standards. So here's the first of the four standards. Uh, this is standard A. It's on-screen representation, themes, and narratives. That's the category. 
This means that at least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors is from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. These groups can be Asian, Hispanic slash Latinx, Black slash African American, Indigenous slash Native American slash Alaskan Native, Middle Eastern slash North African, Hawaiian, uh, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander or other underrepresented race or ethnicity. They might also qualify under standard A if at least 30% of all actors in secondary and more minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups. Women, racial or ethnic group, wait, women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities, or who are deaf or hard of hearing. Or then there's A3, which is another way to qualify as if the main storylines, theme, or narrative of the film is centered on an underrepresented group, such as women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical dis disabilities, or who are deaf or hard of hearing. And then there are other standards too, uh, standards B through D, but frankly, I think we all get the point. Now, a number of, of things jump out, at, uh, jump out at us here. First of all, how is racial or ethnic group an underrepresented group? So racial groups in general are underrepresented in Hollywood? How could that be? Who are the people who've been starring in these movies? What are they, robots, space aliens? They have no race at all? That would explain a lot, I guess. But it seems to me that literally every movie that's ever been made has featured people of racial and ethnic groups. Ah, but you know, they're, they're, they're looking now for certain racial and ethnic groups, and they want less of other groups. They just don't want to put it that way because it would sound racist as hell, which of course it is. Second, how exactly are women underrepresented in Hollywood? I feel like I see women in movies all the time. Women are in movies. Movies are about women. There doesn't appear to be a problem here. In fact, these days you can't even watch an action movie without a, at least one of the main characters being a 120-pound supermodel who can somehow beat up 300-pound men. So there are plenty of women in movies. Um, and the third point, of course, is that this is all completely arbitrary. You know, you got 30% of the people in the supporting cast have to belong to to two or more of this and that group. Uh, it's it's all entirely arbitrary. And the fourth point is, and this is this is the main thing I think I want us to take away from this. This is all good. This is all very good. We should be happy about this. Yes, I am. I am canceling the Oscars because of it, but it's a joyous cancellation. It's, uh, there, there should be confetti raining down from the ceiling right now. This is a happy, I'm, I am happy to do it. We should be happy about it. Because there, there are two consequences from this, both of them very good. One is that, and I think this is the less likely consequence, that movie studios decide that it, they don't care about winning Oscars anymore uh, because the Oscars are such a joke, uh, because it's been turned into you know, like an HR seminar now that you have to, you have to follow all these different rules uh, and meet all these quotas. And so maybe movie studios will say, well, we don't care anymore. We're just going to make, we're going to make good movies. And, uh, and, and as long as people watch them, then it doesn't matter to us. And if that happens, then the, the Oscars become entirely irrelevant, which I, I would say they already are, but they, they are pushed even further into irrelevance, which I would say is a positive thing. Second consequence, potentially, is that movie studios decide, no, they, they want to win the Oscars. Maybe they want to win even more now because they get woke points for doing it. Uh, because then it will show that not only is it a good movie, but it's a, it's a progressive movie. And so they'll win a lot of credit that way. Um, and so they'll, they'll, they'll start making their movies 
in accordance with all these ridiculous rules so that they can win the Oscars. And that will just be the end of Hollywood. That will, that will be the end of Hollywood. Hollywood will officially be getting out of the business of making art. And uh, it will be fully and totally and nothing but in the business of progressive politics. And I know you could say that that's already happened. And it has largely, but I still think that there are, you know, you do find real art sometimes coming out of Hollywood. There are, they, they, they do sometimes produce a movie, a TV show um, that seems to have been made because simply for the quality of it, um, for, for the art itself. I think this could represent the end of that. And now it's just totally about the progressive politics and nothing more. And if that happens, then it's the end of Hollywood, and it leaves a giant opening, a giant gap for somebody to come in and fill and make real art, um, because they're still going. We're, we are human beings, and we still have an appetite for art. That's not going anywhere. And if Hollywood's not going to fulfill that appetite, um, if they're not going to satiate that human need people have for art, then uh, then somebody else will will come in and take Hollywood's place. And and I say that's good. That's a positive thing. So this is all good. We should celebrate this. There's nothing. There's no, there's no reason to be uh, to be annoyed by it. We should laugh and be and be happy as Hollywood continues to self destruct and commit uh, collective, you know, uh, artistic suicide right in front of our eyes. It's all a very good thing. And though they are canceled, again, it is something that we, we do so uh, joyfully. Not a lot of joyful moments, unfortunately, on this show, but that's, that's one of them right there that we can all take. And we'll end it there for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Some ideas are so bad, they're just downright suspicious. Defund the police is one of those ideas. And now the cops have had enough and the left has got the goodbye blues. We'll talk about that. And we've got the Portland mailbag, an endless riot of wisdom, The Andrew Claven Show.